This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Forever! When your first choice is a big old bus You turn around and boom You end up with us Sloppy seconds Oh, diva Our number is 213-536-9180 Our email is sloppysecondspot at gmail.com Now, on with the show So Are you ready for sloppy seconds, you stupid fat fuck? <laughs> And are you ready for our new format, which is so exciting? So uh, if you listened uh, on Tuesday, we had a special episode, and now it's Friday, which means we have a amazing, fun, special, incredible, effervescent, glamorous guest. And she tastes great, too. Mmm, minty. Peppermint. Peppermint. So we are so excited to uh, share this interview with you. Uh, She was on season nine of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. She has been on Broadway. uh, She has been on CBS. She's been on CBS. She's been on YouTube. She's been on uh, FaceTime. She's been on Zoom calls. I bet she knows how a Twitch works. Yeah, and uh, if you are a satin silk 20-foot cape, she's coming for your throat. Yeah. (laughs) You fucked it up for her. <laughs> so uh, get your ears ready. And this is our amazing interview with Peppermint. I was I was doing a um uh like an interview, something like this, a Zoom, and I was all ready and I was everything was ready, and then my internet was acting up, which probably isn't a surprise. But and so I ran back. To go, it's in the other room. So I, I was like, okay, wait. And I ran down the hall to go to fix the internet so I could fix it and come back. And I'm, I have this fucking silk, silky ass cape that I never wear is hanging up in the hallway, and it's 20 feet long. And I always just like you know walk around it. And I slipped and fell down the hallway and. Ripped my quadricep muscle <gasps> pretty much out of my body, and during the Zoom call, and I'm like, "Oh, my hair came off. It was not cute." And I'm in the hallway, and I'm and I was like, "Okay." And I luckily I had my phone with me. I texted them. I was like, "I don't think I can finish the call," but the call was still on. Like looking, just like empty in my. I was like a guest, empty in the thing, and I was down the hall. And so I fin- I was like, "What else am I gonna do?" So I crawled down the hall, and this was a few days ago, and I got myself up on the chair, and I finished the interview, and and now finished, girl, I finished the fucking interview. That's a professional. Dedication right there. (laughs) Wait, and so so what's, what's your prognosis? What's the deal? Well, I haven't gone to the doctor yet. I have a doctor's appointment on Friday, but I knew, obviously I'm injured. I knew that no matter what, I was going to have, it was going to involve rest and icing and and all that stuff so i've just been doing that right and it's much better it's better before i couldn't i couldn't even walk for like three days oh and then for um and then obviously it's gotten a little bit better so i can hobble now 
we love a good hobble. <laughs> and, and and that's that. So do you you have a history? Correct me if I'm wrong. In high school, weren't you not a cheerleader? You have a history of being like an athlete, right? Yeah, I and I have a history of sports in, injuries. Oh well. really? <laughs> yeah, but I was a cheerleader in high school. Yeah, and so I'm used to. I know, like I'm, I know it pretty well. But I mean, what can you do? I can move well, but like when you slip and slide on us, that silk cape, darling. Who made the cape? Who made the cape? Who? Probably somebody in Thailand. It's from Thailand. It's not even like a, um, it's not even a like custom cape. It's like one of those ruffle capes that everybody has. Oh. And honey, them things are slippery. I know they are. Girl. But they're gorgeous. Where is the cape They're gorgeous. Did you bag it up? It's, no, I'm about to throw it in the trash. I'm going to, after this, I'm going to watch Marie Kondo and get rid of everything in the house. And, and the first thing is going to be that cape. I mean, if you're causing me injury. <laughs> yeah, you need to get up out the house if you're causing yeah, me injury. Yeah, So, Peppermint, we love you. Um, I've known you for a while. Uh, the world fell in love with you on television. You have done so much since sort of like your career exploded. What? are you sick of people asking you about? Oh. I'm sick of people asking me, <laughs> are you going to go and do All-Star? Ah! Ah! I'm sick of it. But wait, 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 wait. Are you going to go do All-Star? <laughs> ah! um, scream. I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the story on that is, yes, of course I would do All-Stars. Uh, if the time was right, you know, yeah, and I right. think that there's definitely, I don't think that's any different than any other queen that's gone back to the show. You know, you gotta, it's no secret by now, it's an expensive gig. You gotta have your everything together. Mm -hmm. right. Everything's gotta be right. I mean, the first time around, it's one thing because you, you're you you're just in a state of waiting, right? Um, but yeah. this time around with something like All Stars, they call you and you're already in the middle of your life doing what you're, you know, trying to keep things running. And so it would have to be the right time and everything would have to be just right, you know? And so um, they, I have, I have, we have had the conversation before, Ooh. but I Ooh. was, I was on Broadway and I think yes, that's a good enough excuse to, yes. to, to, you know. I want to talk about that. <laughs> so, so a lot of the like, you know, headlines are like first trans performer on Broadway and like, uh, or debut, uh, uh, what do they call it? Premiering a role or originating a role. Right? Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. But I want to talk about like the nitty gritty of going from clubs and traveling and doing gigs and being a queen and an entertainer out on the road to uh, what do you do? Eight shows a week in a tiny little dressing room uh, show after, show after show for the tourists <laughs> uh, coming to Broadway. What was that like? That hustle, um, well, m uh, most of that hustle was before there was a drag race. And so I honestly felt like I had made it to the top. Um, right. I mean, this was, I started doing drag in the 90s. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I was working m almost the full week in drag uh, at... The, at, on all the bars and clubs. The Tunnel Nightclub is like my main, my home bar, which some of the queens call, but it wasn't a bar. Um, and I was doing that uh, for like $50 a week, you know, while I was in art school. 
And I wasn't really having much, you know, I wasn't feeling, I wasn't getting no straight A's in school, let's just say that. Right. And I was like, oh, well, this drag thing really feels like there's something to look into here, especially since, you know, I was going to school for musical theater performance, basically to learn Broadway. And at that time, the, the teachers were like, girl, you ain't going to work on Broadway. And so I was like, okay, well, this why club is they, Why would they why, say yeah, that? What, they what say about that? you? I was just, I did not fit any of the roles that, it, based on the roles, the history of Broadway yeah. that had existed, there just wasn't a role for me. They tried their damnedest to, you know, because when you go to acting school, that you do a million different roles in different parts. They tried their damnedest to squeeze me into every little tiny try to box like thing like they could. I was Jack from uh, Jack and the Beanstalk from uh, Into the Woods. I was uh, I was the slave Jim from Big River. I was everybody, honey, and I was still Miss Thing, and it was yeah. just not. <laughs> oh, they're like, oh, the slave Jim was like that, and so <laughs> it was not it. I, they were right. I wasn't right for any of those yeah. roles. And this is Broadway back in 1990, the, the professional theater world back in 1998. They were not writing queer, trans, right. not even a lot yeah. of roles for, for Black folks that were very expansive. And so they were right, you know. Um, they had a point, but if, I mean, they could have told me after, they could have told me that before they took my money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, so I dove into the world of the clubs and all that, which is where, you know, you find your people. And of course, New York City was uh, notorious for its nightlife, especially back in, in the late 90s. And, and so I've, I got lost in this world that I felt like it just took me in so easily and I fell in love with it. And so before you know it, I was, you know, partying with all with legendary people and people that had made some major moves in the LGBT community, like historically, and then people in nightlife that I would later read about or that they would later make movies about. Um, <laughs> and, and then I eventually got the opportunity, like through nightlife with Johnny McGovern to record a song and uh, film a video and everything. And the video premiered. We sent the video into this new station called Logo this new channel, right. and they're like, okay, we're going to put the video on the TV. And it was like, they were playing, I don't remember what they were playing. Uh, was, nobody looked at the program on Logo, on logo yeah. except for Noah's Ark. It was, <laughs> Noah's Ark. It was that's like, Noah's Ark, because like, that's where I was always it, watching it. Yeah. yeah, it was like Bewitched and Noah's Ark. <laughs> and then uh, and then they had something called the Click List, where they would show music from yes. artists. And so I was, I had been watching it since the very day one. And it had only been around for like a year or something by the time that I sent in a video. And there had been no other drag queens on the, on the what, thing. And what video was it that played? Serving It Up. Serving It Up. Mm-hmm. A classic and <laughs> They had never had any other drag performer. And so I was the first drag performer. They didn't even have RuPaul videos, and I have no idea why. Um, wow. They That's were mostly, though, though, playing. It was important for them. I think that their focus was on playing out independent artists. And so there was a lot of independent artists whose music videos would play, and I was one of them. And so that felt like I had achieved so much. And then because of that, or as a result of that, 
um, and working in in the New York scene for so long, uh, almost 10 years by that point, people from all over, other states, other countries, just were like calling. They were like, we want to book you to come and do your show. Because you used to... Awesome. You used to travel like to Poland all the time? Oh my God. Uh, No, Berlin was... uh, Berlin, London, Australia, um, Amsterdam... Um, what was it like to be like one of these traveling divas before there was like a traveling diva circuit? <laughs> yeah, well, there was, there was, I mean, there certainly is a, the, the traveling diva circuit is definitely more, it's more of an economy now. Yeah. Um, it was back then, it was just more piecemeal. It was like, you know, the club owners, it, instead of there being a drag race, because this was before drag race, it's like yeah. 2005 or six. uh, the club owners from all over the world, at least the many of them, would come to New York to go to the clubs and find talent. And so if you were working in the clubs, you were going to get seen. And so I was in the company of lot, all the other girls that were, who were living here and working here. Sherry Vine was living here, working here. Bianca Del Rio had just moved, was just moving here. Um, uh, but, but even before Bianca was on the scene in New York, uh, Sherry Vine, Mistress from Micah, Lady Bunny, uh, uh, Lena, who went by Girlina when she did drag, uh, right. Candace Kane. All these ladies uh, were misunderstood. Uh, all these ladies misunderstood the name of a drag queen. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Miss, Miss, understood. understood. I just say, yeah. <laughs> um, all these ladies were uh, were traveling and doing the same thing, and it was basically, it was as easy as one, two, three they would either contact you or you would call them and be like, I'm coming to Dublin, Ireland, and I'm from New York. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've heard about you, Peppermint. You you work in New York and you know so-and-so? Come on down. We'll pay for the thing. Of course, it wasn't like drag race money, but it, yeah, was, right. it was decent money. It was more than you would get at a regular booking. And so I felt like I was on top of the world, honey. I felt like I had made it. Cheers. Lovely. This is my <laughs> life. I'm living it. I'm a New Yorker. I'm paying all the rent is paid. I'm in London. You know, it's good. And, yeah. and that was a great, um, it was a great time. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. When my fridge is stocked with Factor Meals, I'm like, oh, baby, I don't have to think about this. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so nice. The combinations are so good. I am a meat eater, but the vegetable options, there are so many. Like, I remember I had like a, it was like a mushroom with pasta and like a cauliflower rice. And I was like, the mushroom is filling. Like, there's plenty of uh, portion, there's plenty of vegetable, and there's plenty of flavor. And I am usually sort of not a microwave person. Mm-hmm. Very cool. 
that this quality of food can just be heated up in the microwave. And so fast. I also love it because I am a, a very much into ordering delivery. I and know. now having all the food there, I can kind of ma- pick what I want and it's ready in two minutes. And I don't have to wait an hour for stuff to get delivered. And these are way healthier options than ordering delivery. Completely. And when they have multiple things in them, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if I cook for myself, all I'm going to eat is the biggest bowl of pasta you've ever seen in your life. But this oh, is yeah. like, you get a little pasta and the chicken and a vegetable all in one dish. Looking for gourmet meals try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp truffle butter broccolini and asparagus and factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping cooking or cleaning up all you got to do is heat up and savor the good stuff customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need pause to reschedule deliveries that suit your lifestyle and we're celebrating earth day all month long with factor look out for the earth month eats badge on the menu items for their lowest carbon footprint meals head to factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 and use code sloppy seconds 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code sloppy seconds 50 at factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's a sleigh, baby. My favorite memory is you used to host, or you, I think you subbed in a couple times at XES on their karaoke night. Oh, no, I hosted it. I started that, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, me and my friends used to go to that all the time. And my friends would put songs in for me because I'm not a singer and they would do it as a joke. And I would always run to the (laughs) I would always run to the bathroom to hide. And eventually you caught wise. And one time you came and knocked on the door and we're like, you're going to make the whole bar wait for you to finish. But you're coming up and you're doing a song and you like dragged (laughs) me onto the stage. And that was the first time that I like ever interacted with you. It was so Uh funny. It was so iconic. (laughs) And my friends still talk about it. That was a good, those were some good times. That was a really good karaoke. I guess they, I don't know why they got the idea to do that karaoke, but that was back in in like 2000. We started it, I want to say in 2003 or four or something like that. And it ran for 10 years, that karaoke. A lot of other bars weren't doing karaoke. And so we were the only like gay karaoke in, in town for a while. So yeah. lots of people went to that and it oh, lasted wow. a long time. Of course, eventually other places started having karaoke nights and things like that. So I, I was trying to get to this beforehand, but obviously like, you know, years and years of amazing hustle. But when you did the Broadway show, what was the difference between that kind of like every night a new place doing the doing you know, like a karaoke night and then your live music and then this and traveling versus like you do the same show over and over again and you've arrived, you're on Broadway. But I've also heard interviews from you being like, well, girl, the gigs pay better. Oh, that is no (laughs) lie. Wait, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think when I was going to school and trying to audition for Broadway shows, uh, the average Broadway salary was about $1,500 a week, um, which is not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of hard for, for, for eight shows um, a week. And so, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's not bad. You know, a couple hundred dollars a show. Um, but uh, 
And so, I mean, that's what I was afraid of. Uh, and at first, at one point, that was like great money. But then, of course, I was earning that like just doing my regular club nights mm-hmm, before right. Drag Race. And then uh, when Drag Race hit, obviously, uh, I was earning more than that after, you know, for each gig. And so I was earning, uh, I was afraid of the money. That was the first thing. Second thing is I'd spent my whole adult life living in New York City and avoiding Times Square <laughs> and, a nine, and a nine to five job, like a day job. <laughs> and here I am working in Times Square with a damn day job. Right. And I was like, oh God. And you know, Broadway is an industry, it's a business. And and so most of the, the industry, we only, the, the performance that you go to at the theater it's just a little tippy, tippy, tippy top of the iceberg. The rest of it is run by this huge industry. It's actually not that big of an industry. It just makes a lot of money. Um, but there's only like three or four real theater owners. Right. There's a handful of like producers. You know, it's all, they're all, there's some conversations to be had around that, especially under the under Black Lives Matter. Nepotism. But, yeah, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um, but... It's there, it's very surprisingly as as much of a safe space as theater is for queer people everywhere all over the world. I would imagine Broadway is it is a safe space, but the business of Broadway is very much about the red tape and the bureaucracy. Um, and it's not just from the fact that it's um, so involved with unions. It's it's more you know that there's like this very traditionalist mentality with Broadway that is wonderful because it it it's one of the only forms of live organized live professional entertainment that people can go and see um but it also comes with a whole lot of wacky traditions and things that are just kind of not that forward thinking mm-hmm. um and so i discovered that when i got in there there was all this tradition me as a black trans me as a out queer person, because the, the the business of Broadway is all the leads are straight white men. No mm-hmm. matter what the role is, the leads are straight white men. The backup dancers are the gays. And so me as a trans, a queer person and a black trans woman just broke that all up and yeah. as a as a lead. And and so things were not built for me. I had to we had to figure out the honey, the, the girl when they had to figure out what to do with the bathrooms, my with my dressing room. Girl, Wait, what do you mean? Whatever. Wait, what do you mean? You didn't have I feel like in theater, room? everyone's dick is out and they're all peeing on each other. I mean, that's oh why it was for me. That's... Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I wanted. No, no, that's not what I wanted. Um, the, no, it was just like... I, had, I, did, I did have my own bathroom. But even the principals were, had to share bath, um, bathrooms with, each, with other principals. Um, and so there was like... We get it. Yeah, it's not really, into yeah, all of it, yeah, but it's a it's, fucking it mad. <laughs> People don't yeah. know how to just interact with other human beings. It's really yeah. psychotic. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> um, and and the other and the other principles were like every my experience there and my interactions with people was wonderful. I don't want to paint the picture that I had a sure. bad time with any of the individuals there. The other stars of the show, the other people in the show, were all great. It was a wonderful family, but there was so much new and first time about my yeah. existence in there 
that every single thing was a consideration. And it wasn't even a decision that someone would make just out of, um, you know, common sense. It was like, oh, well, let me take that back to the board and the committee and we'll get back to you in a couple weeks. Oh my God. I'm like, girl, I just want to, I just want to, I just need to do my hormones in my dressing room or whatever, you know, that's (laughs) just an example, you know? And so everything was a consideration, things that were personal and then things that were, that had to do with the whole cast. Um, And I'm used to being like, we got a problem. Let's fix it. March. Yeah. Like they were like, no, that's not the way it works, honey. You got to fill out this paper and then we will submit it. Go to the union rep. I'm like, oh my word. All of that. And so it it was a lot of, um, a lot of red tape for things that had to be crossed. And I think it eventually, it essentially it, I think it's, it was a very stifling um, atmosphere. Some things just didn't work. And it, ironically, the, the theme of the show was all about queerness and openness and inclusion right. and all of that. Um, and so that was something to, 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 to get around. I think had we produced the show and, and done the show, well, we wouldn't be doing it today because Broadway is closed indefinitely. But um, after COVID, uh, after Black Lives Matter and all of this, then I think it would have been a much different experience. Oh, wow. What was it like getting into that? Like going from being like a club gal to having that routine, though, just being like, this is what my life is now. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, it wasn't even mundane initially. Being on, being in a in a show, I'm sure you all know, like in, a, in any theater show, it, there is some like you know, it is very routine and um and probably halfway through, you're like, okay, I, I need to do something, <laughs> but um. But in initially, like originating a sh- a play like that, it it's like I mean, a lot most of us come from theater, so yeah. everybody knows Tech Week is like is hell. But Tech Week on Broadway is like mega hell, oh, and God. just like you know, because you have you, you're you're up most theaters, most anybody who's done theater, you're you're up long hours, you're there all day. You have to change things and then f- figuring out the costumes and you have to do a million things at once. Um, and you got the pressure of like, oh, we're going to open soon, blah, blah, blah. It's that plus, oh, the producers need to have a word with you. Oh, this is not right. Ooh. Oh, you know, like, oh, the New York Times critic is talking about you. Right. And it's like, it's a lot of pressure. There was times where just like, just creatively, we were, I went, I, they took me hours before the show to a recording studio to record something for the show that was going to play. And then I came back. And by the time I got back, they had already heard it and decided not to do it. And instead, here's a new song to put in tonight. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my and this gosh. is ours. It was like heart palpitations. There was moments where I was going to, I was like in my outfit, ready to go out on that stage. And I didn't remember which version of the script we were doing that day. And so... That was an experience that I, it was more stressful than Drag Race. And Drag yeah. Race was one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my whole life. Well, how and stressful so, was it compared to God Friended Me? Okay. Meatball, we got to take a break. Okay, I'm we'll take a break. Transition we'll us a into break. a break. Okay. Transition. Right. <laughs> Transition. Transitions, baby. And we're back! 
Do you know Wicked? You were on Broadway. Did you compete with Wicked? Have you ever auditioned for Wicked? Uh, yes, yes, no, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can you do the alphabet riff? Ooh, ah! Not that register, I can't. <laughs> do it in yours. Never gonna bring me, <laughs> me down. <laughs> oh, yes, she's got the grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Just an on-the-spot transposition of the the notes. Good for you. How incredible. That's a star, baby. She's a star. So we were talking earlier about how you had some first-timer experiences on Broadway. Mm -hmm. You also uh, originated some things on Drag Race. Hello, hello. Uh, And on your season, they really positioned you publicly as the first trans contestant, which, as we know, as history shows us, there were uh, uh, queens who either came out on the show or sort of talked about it on the show or returned to their reunion having transitioned or sort of coming out uh, uh, about their trans identity. But they Uh sort of positioned you as, you know, start to finish a trans queen. But that maybe wasn't necessarily the case because of their exclusionary policies. So I'm just curious about your experience on the show. I think first and foremost, the the two things are facts. Number one is there isn't a lot of communication from the team, the producers, the directors, uh, the people who make the decisions about the show, the casting people. There isn't a lot of communication from them, or at least I don't know about season 10, 11, and 12 in All-Stars, but up until now, up until season nine, there was not a lot of communication from them on who is trans, who's not, who can be, what level of transness you're allowed to be when you audition versus what. There was no, there was not like a committee or like any of that. It was, you want to be on the show, do these things and send in your tape. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing I had to go by, which I'm guessing is the same thing everybody else had to go by was who's been on the show and what's, what have we seen on the the episodes and that was it um and there hasn't been a lot of great trans representation on the show and and in terms of inclusion um as you said and so the but i didn't i was assuming the policy um i you know i i don't i think it was maybe an unwritten and unspoken policy certainly nobody ever communicated any of it to me in fact rue said on the air to Monica Beverly Hills that we don't discriminate. I don't remember exactly what she said, but something to that effect. Right. When Monica came out on the same episode, she got sent home. Right. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I, I don't, oh I didn't really have a lot to go by. I also know that um, I, I've been out as trans since 2012. Right. Now, yeah. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To some people on one end of the spectrum, when we're talking about us judging who trans people are, right? one end of the spectrum is, oh, she w- sh- work, you're fish, you pass, you look like I think a woman should look like, you've right. had every surgery, what surgeries have you had? Oh, you've had surgeries that I can't see? Oh, okay, well, I think that you're a woman, so you must be a woman. That's that school, right? 
Yeah. And then there's the other school of, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. The same, I'm the same person with the same mind and brain today that I, that the same person I was as I was what, years ago. Right. The day before I had surgery, I was this person. And the day after I had any surgeries, I was this person. And that person has always been a woman. And I've been talking about myself as a trans woman to anybody that would listen right. since 2012. Now, was I already on t- national television? No. So a lot of people didn't know. I think there's there's also the third fact is that there's a lot of people who just assume that when we see somebody on, on Drag Race or on TV, that's the day they were born. <laughs> but... <laughs> that's what Meeple always says. Oh, look, happy birthday. Oh, they were happy born. birthday, Hello. everybody. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been doing this game for a long time before there was even a Drag Race. Right. And I've had conversations with club owners uh, and watched trans women lose their jobs uh, for being trans, who were who were also worked as drag queens mm. in, in New York, and so I that's was coming so from that. And huh? Oh, I just thought that that's so insane to lose your oh, job. Oh yeah, it's, it's the truth. You, uh... I, I I I had come from that world, and then into um, RuPaul's Drag Race, and I kn- I know that unfortunately, who I was and where I was, my my economic stature the money I had access to allowed me to pay my rent every single day since 1998 doing drag. But it did not allow me to pay my rent and get this surgery, that surgery, or buy a house, or rent a car, car, whatever. Nothing more. And that's an accomplishment, right? And so I can't really speak to what other people would assign to me. When I jumped in in and out of the shower and I looked in the mirror and I didn't have my hair done or makeup on, I'm, I'm looking at a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world may be like, oh no, that's a man. And we won't believe it until they've had surgery and we've seen the papers. Maybe that's how people that, but I've been out and talking about me, myself being trans since 2012. I, I was cast on the show in 2016. I even came out on national television as trans, not really coming out, but my first time speaking on TV about myself, which included talking about being trans, was on The Daily Show that aired on April, I want to say 16th, 2016, with Trevor Noah, way before I was ever on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh. I've had, you can scroll, there's there's a lot of queens that like to wipe their entire... Instagram and Facebook right. and so that, it, that, that here's my new existence starting last week. Honey, you can go back to 2012, I think, when I started my Instagram and see all of the history talking right. about being trans, being out. And so I don't know, but I would, and I, again, I didn't have a lot of conversation with the directors and the people who wrote and produced the show before I auditioned for it. After I auditioned for it, I, I would assume that they would take a look at your social media yeah. and see who this person is we're going to put on the show. They I do certainly now. know they do it now. <laughs> they, I certainly know they do it now. Maybe yeah. not deep enough, but they try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there's a couple of mess ups we know. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so putting those three things together, that's all I really had. Right. I assume that they knew that I was trans, but I wasn't necessarily visibly trans 
to anyone's liking. Um, and to be honest with you, what I was focused on was not how much trans am I going to show. It was more, am I going to be a good enough queen? Like, right. is my drag going to be draggy enough? You know, they were reading other queens for their beard coming through and not having enough makeup or not looking right, you know, whatever on the show. And I'm like, I got, I need to make sure that these, the hairs together, let me make, make it bigger, make it draggier. Like right. that's what I was focused on. Well, yeah. you did a good job to... focusing on it. Cause she made it all the way to the top. I said to myself when I went, I was like, okay, I, in my audition tape, I wasn't like, Trans rights now, fuck you. Like, right. I, that wasn't who, who I was in the audition tape. I was like, this is me. Here's my drag. Here's the Snatch Game thing, which was horrible. Here's this, here's <laughs> that. Um, I, uh, you know, I. this is the list of things that I had to compete uh, uh, to complete for the audition tape. And I didn't really talk about being trans on my audition tape. I did not. I was like, let me just focus on answering the questions they ask. I'm not going to give them any more information then and that's something i that's that's a recipe for success y'all everybody don't give them any more information than they ask you answer the questions they ask right and so that's what i did (laughs) and um and then i got on the show and i said as soon as i got on the show i was like i cannot wait to have this conversation about being trans and doing drag at the same time i can't wait to have that conversation on air and i knew that i was going to have it I didn't know when. I didn't know how. I just wait. I wanted to wait for the right time to those queens in the room because I also didn't want to walk into the, to the into the entrance room on the first day and be like, "I'm trans and that's all you need to know about me." I wanted them to see my drag and view me as a competitor. Right. That, I don't, that may or may not have worked, but I wanted to wait until you know. I feel like talking about your 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 identity and your sexuality, your gender expression. Is, is personal. And so yeah. that is allowed to be in a personal space. When we were having a personal conversation in the room, then then the time felt right. So that's what I did. Um, I later talked to one of the producers, rest in peace, Jacqueline, who, um, who I, I asked her, I was like, so how much did y'all know? Because I never talked to the producers about any of my personal stuff, really. They interviewed me, but I didn't really give them a whole bunch of information. Um, and she was like, girl, we knew. She's like, we knew. She's like, we were just waiting for you to, to talk about it. Um, oh. And, you know, it would have felt really weird if there had been like, um, we know you're trans. You know, like that would have felt weird. Right. And so the way that it happened was, I know that it's not the way that a lot of people would have wanted it to happen. And it's not necessarily the way that me being on the show doesn't really talk about the, tr- the, the policy and their approach to how they decide mm-hmm. to include or exclude trans people from the show. It just shows that I got through as a trans person and I've been out as trans the whole time. Right. Now, it would be so much better if they would make a big announcement about their new effort to include trans people in everything that they do. Ding, ding, but ding. that's just not where they were, you know? Yeah. yeah. Lately, with everything that's been going on during the pandemic and with Black Lives Matter, you and Bob have like taken to the internet and you have essentially become like an internet <laughs> pundit. Like what <laughs> like what is the activism? How did that all come out? What are you setting out to do? Like what is your goal here? 
Besides just well, bringing honestly, awareness, which you brought a lot to. Specifically the video where you and Bob did this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, the, most of those moments are, are real um, candid moments, I gotta tell you. But we, um, I've always had like a sort of, um, wanted to include charity and activism uh, and advocacy in my drag. It's just like in the, in the, 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 the drag school that I went to, that's what the queens would do. They were talking about marriage equality. They were ta- well, really, they were talking about AIDS and HIV, right. education and prevention. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you know, marriage equality. That's kind of what I was involved in. Um, and so that was always a part of my 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 game. But um, and so I've always been trying to speak out when I think something needs to be said or use my platform in a way that I think is beneficial to the community whichever community that is. But it was, I mean, look, it was no joke that during the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I mean, I think we were all probably in our feelings, not obviously many people were scared. Many people were obviously getting sick and losing their lives and they still are. Um, <clears throat> and so there was a lot to deal with. Uh, we, we knew a lot less about it, but we were all, lockdown was really strong for everybody. Yeah. So we were all kind of captive in our homes and like in lockdown in the whole country for the first couple of like month or so. And for a minute, like I was seeing these videos coming out over and over again about like, I mean, I remember, I think I said this on one of the things with Bob, you know, I remember as a kid, somebody said, here, watch, you want to watch a video? I have a videotape. You want to take it home and watch it? It's called some, it's called Faces of Death. And you can watch people die. And I was like, I, I no, I never want to see that. I don't want to see that. I like horror movies, but I don't ever want to see a real video of people being killed or somebody dying. It was like and, a snuff film. Yes. Um. Yeah. I. I don't. Well, not like know sexy. How have it you seen mur- any of them? I. Yeah, when I was younger, my brother what? would watch it. It's like mo- like a lot of it was like military murders, like videos of like just any collected compiling of people dying. It wasn't like yeah, it it was snuff films, they, but it wasn't it, it wasn't, wasn't like, like shot one to person. murder it someone. Like, it was like videos yeah. of people dying. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I didn't want to see that. Obviously, I I think yeah. that's hopefully normal. Um, and and I just made that decision my whole life. You know, I don't want to see any of that. If I know that that's gonna, say, then I saw the video of I knew it was going to be an injustice. Then I saw the video of Ahmaud Arbery jogging, and I was like, oh, what's this racist stuff? I was not prepared mm-hmm. to see that video. And that changed something. And then, then here's George Floyd. And so seeing these videos of people dying on social media, I was like, this is not right. And so I was definitely in my feelings. And for a while, I didn't really have a place to talk about it. It, it, it was bubbling up, but, like, I didn't know how to talk about it or engage in it. And I was like, God, there's got to be something better that comes out of this quarantine than Tiger King, right. you know? <laughs> and so oh, Bob and I were like, girl, I, we, were, we were talking on the phone, and I was like, girl, can, let's just talk. We, there's a lot of pain going on. There's a lot of things to be said. Something's not right. Let's have a conversation. And that's just how it started. And we did, you know, two or three videos. Like we just did one the other day. Um, and so we do them every every once in a while when we're feeling 
inspired. And you've you've really done some amazing also work in June, like uh, with the Queer Black Town Hall and like partnerships. It's it's a it's a really inspiring thing, especially as people are sort of um, recalibrating their understanding of pride and going back to its roots as um you know, not only like a, a protest and a riot, but also about actually fighting for rights and not dancing on a float sponsored by Wells Fargo. And, you know, <laughs> and I, I am in all support of queer artists taking money from corporations to try to step their wealth up. Yes, we are in support of that. But when we move so far away from the true meaning of something, it is there's a little silver lining in all of well, there's a huge silver lining in the awareness that this moment has given across the board, both with Black Lives Matter and with sort of like the re or uh, orientation of pride. But um, it, it's really empowering to see uh, people like you, people like Bob, taking back this moment mm-hmm. and and teaching our community. It's like it's incredible. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there was a uh, it was a great experience. And that that. The videos that we did obviously were kind of spawned the Black Queer Town Hall, which we're going to aim to do annually every year. We actually have another one coming up August, I think, 14th and 15th oh, um, for Minneapolis. Um, uh, and it has, uh, we have, who do we have uh, involved? We just we just got the roster and I don't remember exactly who. You can go to my social media, but it's, um, we got Heidi, uh, Heidi in the Closet. Uh, we got Widow Von Du. We uh, oh. are talking to Wanda Sykes. Yes. Um, and so we're getting some some fabulous queer folks, uh, Black folks, to, to be involved um, for the Minneapolis version. That's awesome. That's incredible. Um, so uh, we want to thank you so much for being on the show, Pep. <laughs> now, now can, people, can people stream back episodes of God Friended Me? Uh, anywhere online can we see you? yeah i uh, yeah if they if they if they subscribe to <laughs> cbs um cbs cbs all access i think it's called okay. uh, i think that's where the episodes live they are still on if you have hulu they are still on yeah. the episodes are on still on hulu because we're technically still in our season um oh, okay. but it, it got canceled uh at the end of the season but it, it just aired like you know Oh, like a couple months ago was was the finale, um, and so it's still on Hulu. If you run and catch it and watch it tonight, um, uh, but otherwise you'll probably have to catch it in the the sort of graveyard of videos, which I think is CBS All Access. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, well, and people can you- watch you in the in a beautiful SNL sketch called GPS. Yeah, yeah, GPS. Yeah. <laughs> That was a uh, that was a lot of fun. I did that with Jiggly Caliente and they uh, it, and um, Steve Carell uh, was the host. It was an awesome uh, an awesome experience. And people should watch uh, Pose on Netflix. Yes, yeah, season two, um, right? Season two. Yeah, it's out on Netflix now. What and episode I have a number ca- are you? Of cam- four. Yeah, episode three, I think. Butterfly Cocoon is the name of it. It, that episode was really intense. You did also another amazing acting job. It's so cool to see you pop up everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Shout Thank out you. to you, Pepperman. Way to go, bitch. Uh, and people can, people can follow you online at Peppermint 24-7. That's right. 
That's right. Okay, well, thank you uh, so thank much for you so being much for your time here. We love you. I love you. Thank you so much for inviting me to have some sloppy seconds. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, baby. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Sloppy Seconds. You can follow us on Instagram at SloppyPod. Send us an email at SloppySecondsPod at gmail.com or call us with your fuck talk story to 213-536-9180. You can find Big Dipper on the Instagram and Twitter at Big Dipper Jelly and me on Instagram at Spiciest Meatball and Twitter at Fat Bag Dream Ball. Fat Bag, Fat Drag Meatball. <laughs> fat Drag Dream Ball. Fuck, you know you want to dream. <laughs> Dreet me online at (laughs) twitter.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Now there's two a week. How would you want to miss this, which is now coming out on Tuesdays and Fridays, you dumb fucks? That's right. So thank you. We love you. Bye. Bye, mom. Doodle-a-doo-doo. Forever dog. Sloppy Seconds is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media. Mom! Hosted by Big Dipper and Meatball. Mixed and mastered by William Pitt. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Our artwork is drawn by Christian Cimarroni. And our theme song was written by Mike Malarkey.